Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Peninsula Church of Christ, located at 502 Woodland Road in Hampton, Virginia. We are so glad that you have chosen this time to study the Word of God, and it is our prayer that this sermon will be a blessing to your soul. You can find more information about the congregation, including our service times and full contact information, online at www.peninsulacofc.org. That is P-E-N-I-N-S-U-L-A-C-O-F-C dot org. If the sermon prompts questions in your mind, please reach out to us. Keep listening after the sermon for more information. And now, a sermon from the Peninsula Church of Christ. We began another one of our I Am studies. You recall last Sunday. I am light, the light of the world. We began by talking about the source of that light being Christ, and we examined that from John chapter 1. The light came to the world, and that light was the life of men. And yet in Christ and through Christ, we have been made new as children of light. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. But the question for us this morning moves beyond just the idea of being light, that Jesus is the source of that light, and through him we've been transformed into his kingdom of light. What does it mean to be the light of the world? What does that look like in practicality to be light in Christ? Is it just living a moral life? Is it trying not to do anything too awful bad? Is it trying not to get in anybody's way? Is it, is it occasionally talking about the gospel? Is it, well, hoping people will see your life and ask you about Christ? What does it mean to walk in the light, to be the light of the world, to shine Christ in your life? Well, that's what this Sunday and next is about. I am light. If I'm light, I've got to live a certain way. I've got to speak a certain way. I have to reflect Christ into the world. I began last Sunday by talking about the moon and how the moon does not have light of itself, does it? The moon simply takes the light from the sun as it is and thus bounces it back in a sense. I'm trying not to use the technical jargon for the little ones here and such. Bounces it back in a sense toward earth, right? It, it comes off of it. This morning I had my iPad out and the sun was shining in the window and it was catching the screen of my iPad and it was reflecting right into Patricia's eyes. And I heard her go, ooh. And I said, what, honey? She said, you just blinded me with your iPad. The light was bouncing off the iPad and hitting her in the eyes. And in a sense, that's what the moon is for us, isn't it? The moon doesn't have light of itself. The only light it has comes from the sun. And that is our life in Christ. The light that we have is the light of him shining forth into the world through us. So he's the source. And in him, we have been transformed to bear light into this world. So I invite you to Matthew chapter 5. Because the first thing we want to consider today is the need to shine the light. If we have been transformed by the light and the source of that light is Christ and God, then we need to shine the light into the world. And I want you to notice what Jesus says here because there are three significant ideas. First, in verse 14, you've got to understand that this is how God designed it. Notice what Jesus says in verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world. And he contrasts that truth that we are intended to be the light of the world with a city that is set on a hill. A city set on a hill can't be hidden, can it? 
It's there. It's going to be for all to see from miles away. You're going to be able to behold it. One of the scariest moments that Patricia and I have had in our marriage happened on our one-year wedding anniversary. We had left Collierville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis there where we lived a few miles from the Forest Hill building in the Memphis School of Preaching. And we were driving half the distance here that day. We had a 20-odd foot budget truck. We are supposed to have a dinner of different rental company, but at the last minute, they didn't have it. So I had to call around Memphis. What do you have? I need a truck. I'm supposed to be moving. They had, I had a 20-foot truck. I had a trailer on the back with my pickup truck on it. And we were headed from Memphis to Knoxville. Our goal was to make it to Knoxville that night. And then we would drive the next day from Knoxville to Richmond. And then the day after that, we'd come down the last little bit and be able to unload all of our stuff here while it was still good in daylight. Well, Knoxville sits in a valley. It's, it's not on the hill. You can't see that city from a distance. And we came into Knoxville in the middle of a thunderstorm when it was dark outside. Now, if you have ever been down I-40 from Nashville to Knoxville, you know coming down into that valley, it's not a smooth, nice little slope down. And all of a sudden, oh, look, it's Knoxville. It is down the side of a mountain. And you're going like this and that and this and that. And it is a terrible drive. Especially in a 20-foot truck hauling a trailer in the middle of a lightning and thunderstorm that you can't see anything in front of you or but just a handful of feet. And uh, Trisha and I were sitting there, and I'm driving down that mountain, and she's right beside me. And I, I, I say something to her to the extent, well, it's been a great year. Hope <laughs> we make it down this mountain, right? But Knoxville's not set on a hill. I couldn't have seen. In fact, I wasn't sure how close we were getting other than I had driven that route many times. So I had an idea. We're coming close to being down the mountain. And when we finally got down, my knuckles were wide as could be. I was ripping that steering wheel so, so tightly. Now, if it had been the city on a hill, I could have seen it. I would have been able to judge my distance a little bit more, maybe had a little more hope. I would have known exactly where I was. But as it was down the valley, you couldn't see it. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You're like a city set on a hill. That is by design. You and I are meant to be the light of the world by design. God did not save us. God did not redeem us in Christ and then say, oh, oops, man, doesn't that work out great? You happen to be able to bear testimony now. You happen to be able to show the world what I look like now. God designed it that way. He intended it that way. Think about Titus chapter 2 of verse 14, how we have been saved in Christ for what purpose? To be zealous of good works. We're not created to be bench warmers, pew sitters. We're not created to be people on the sidelines watching the whole world lose itself to the fires of hell and doing nothing about it. We're created to be a people who are zealous for good works. We're created to be a people who are the city set on a hill. It is God's design that his people shine. But then go from verse 14 to verse 15 because it's not just God's design, but it is a demand. We are in demand. Notice what he says in verse 15. He says, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Think about a dark room. That light is in demand in that room, isn't it? You want that light. You need that light. You desire that light. When the power goes out, we miss it, don't we? We, we miss the benefit of Light. So we start getting out candles and we have flashlights and we might have some battery operated lanterns. And a lot of us are probably pulling out our cell phones, turning on the flashlight. 
Light is in demand, isn't it? It is a necessity to do many things. Light is a great benefit to mankind. Jesus says no one lights a candle in the middle of the house and says, oh, we don't need this. Let's cover it up. He says, no, they put it on a stand so it can be seen because the light is in demand. You and I are in demand. The world needs us. Now, I understand that the world might not recognize that. I realize that your neighbors might, might not understand that they need your influence. I, I understand that your co-workers might not understand how much they need your godly presence. And, and you need to understand that. You and I have to appreciate the fact that sometimes people don't know what they actually need. And yet God says we're in demand. We are like that, that candle that's lit and set upon the lampstand to give light to the world. We're in demand. We're needed because there's not a whole lot of us. There are few who choose the narrow way. There are many who choose the broad. And those few who are on the narrow way, they're the ones who can be the light of the world. That no one else can serve in that capacity. We're in demand. We're needed in this capacity. By design, we are like that city set on the hill because there is demand for the light to shine in the darkness, for Christ to be seen in and through us. So by design, we are in demand. But then I want you to notice verse 16 because here we are to present ourselves in such a way. We are to shine in such a way as to be a doxology, an expression of praise unto God. Notice what he says in verse 16. For I <clears throat> let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify, Glorify your Father who is in heaven. Our lives ought to be a living doxology, a living song of praise unto God. So that when our life is seen, when it is witnessed, the way in which we conduct ourselves in the good works of the kingdom of Christ, the result is that men and women want to praise God. Man, we ought to be living in such a way that even an atheist says, you know what? You're who you say you are. You're who you say you are. They might not agree with God at all, but they can appreciate who we are. By design, we're meant to be the light of the world. And that light that the world needs, well, it's in demand because there's not a lot of us. And so the world needs to see those who are in Christ, bearing Christ. And when we fulfill our design, when we meet that demand, the result is going to be our lives or a doxology, a song of praise, an expression of praise unto God. So whether or not we shine isn't really an option. Now, I know it is in the sense that we can choose not to do the works. In the sense that we can choose not to live like Christ. We can choose to hide. We can make that choice. But if we make that choice, we no longer are Christians and faithful walk with the Lord, are we? We can't hide our light and be faithful at the same time. Those two don't go together. Now, we can try it. I understand that. And, and we can convince ourselves 
that because we are living morally, we're not really bad people, we're letting our light shine. Is that really the case? Is it really the case as Christians that all we have to do is live morally? Jesus says, talks here about men seeing your good works. What are those good works? If we're shining the light. What light are we shining? We're shining the light of the gospel of Christ. And that means the good works that we're talking about are the works of the gospel. The works of the kingdom. Not the good works as the world would measure Man, you give your time to the poor and needy and those things. The world looks at that and says, says, that's great, that's good. Christians ought to be doing that too. But our example goes beyond that, doesn't it? Our life goes beyond just that. We need to bear testimony to the one who created us and has made us anew in Christ. If you want to see what it looks like to live as the light of the world, look at Jesus the Christ. Now, when Jesus did good works, did he, did he do the good works of helping the needy and, and, as we might say, fighting for justice and these things? Yeah, he did all that. Absolutely. In fact, that was a testimony that, that he had come into the world to do what he did. But how did he do it? Through the preaching of the gospel. Through the preaching of the word of God. You say, well, I'm active in my community. I'm, I'm standing up for what's right. Are you doing it from the gospel? Because a utilitarian argument, in other words, this is what we ought to do because it's what works, it doesn't work for Christians. Our faith, our grounding is in the word of God and the light we're shining. It's supposed to be the light of the gospel. I can argue all day long for equality, but my life is rooted in the gospel and my arguments for the world need to be rooted in the gospel. You see, this is one of the things, and I'm speaking personally now, that frustrates me. <laughs> about the social justice movement in, in the body of Christ at times is we make a lot of arguments about what is right without grounding them in the reason they are right. And that is the gospel of Christ. And go beyond that because Jesus just didn't tell people what was right. He told them they needed to get right with God. Now, my friends, if we're shining the light of Christ into this life, it's not just about telling people what is right. It's about telling them how to get right. Because you can never expect a person to do what is right until they get right. And we make the mistake of expecting one before the other when one comes forth from the other. And we're shooting ourselves in the foot. We expect the world to change and society to change. And we say, well, we're supposed to be this light. People aren't going to change unless they're changed by the gospel of Christ. And so if you just show them good things, but you don't ever tell them about the good one, you've made a mistake. We have to shine the light. And if we look at the Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus talks about, he talks about living in faithfulness before God. How can we separate God from the light of the world? Because our light is only an expression of God in us. We've got to shine the light, but we've got to do more than just shine the light. We have to be the light. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Right here, where we're at. Have you ever noticed that the admonition to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world comes right after the Beatitudes? Have you ever noticed that? That he tells them you need to be the light of the world. He tells them that you need to be the salt of the earth. Well, how do you live in a way to be light? How do you live in a way to be salt? 
Salt. Notice what Jesus says in these verses. Seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. When he was seated, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Now what begins here at verse 3 in Matthew 5? And continues through the conclusion of Matthew chapter 7 is kingdom living. That's what Jesus is preaching about. He's preaching about the kingdom. He's preaching about those who are going to be in that kingdom and how, how they ought to be living. He's preaching about what God expects of the people that are his. Now, that was true of those who were the Jews there, and that would be true of those who would enter the kingdom in Acts chapter 2. God's expectations haven't really changed. Have they? Has what's holy changed? Fundamentally holy? No. Because God has always been God, and be ye holy for I am holy. Holy has been holy as long as man has been man. And if we were going to be even more accurate with that, take ourselves out of the picture for a moment. Holy has been holy as long as God has been God. Which means that holiness is rooted in eternality. Because God is eternal. And his nature is eternal with him. He is who he is. He is the I am. Now notice what Jesus begins to teach her in these verses. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for this, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall, shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil falsely against you for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. Do you see how one rolls right into the other? He says, if you live this way, if you live for the kingdom, they're going to persecute you, but you've got to understand you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You've got to live this way because this is who my people are. They are people who are poor in spirit. There's a sense of humility there, isn't there? Of brokenness. We're going to talk about this a little bit more tonight. I'm going to have some extra verses for you in the evening discussion time. They're the poor in spirit. They are those who mourn. Instead of rejoicing, in unrighteousness, they mourn sin and unrighteousness. Blessed are the meek. They are not people who look to be strong, but people who look to show strength through service, through humility. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're people who can't get enough of the things of God. Blessed are those, blessed are the Merciful. We've talked about mercy, haven't we, on Wednesday night, some when we've been together here. Blessed are those who are going to be merciful. Show kindness to those who may very well not deserve it. Blessed are the pure in heart. Purity in relationship to God is free from that which defiles, free from sin and unrighteousness and wickedness and, and the thinking that accompanies all of that. Jesus will deal with that here in just a moment, won't he? When he talks about you've been told of old, you shall not commit adultery. But let me tell you, if you so lust after a woman to commit adultery with her in her heart, you've already sinned. Jesus is getting at the purity of heart when he talks about that. Isn't he? He's talking about the inner man and the motives of that man. Blessed are the peacemakers. Man, we live in a society that's always looking to one up. What if we always look to reach out? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
God's people are going to stand upon God's principles no matter what. And if that means the world doesn't like it, that means society, culture we live in at that moment doesn't like it, family, friends, go whoever it is, they don't like it, it's okay. Because we're shining the light. Because we're salting the earth. We have to be the light. You see, God's plan is that we be the people he intended us to be. So we talk about being the light. We're talking about fulfilling God's plan for us in being children of the kingdom. That's these Beatitudes. But I want you to turn back to Ephesians 5, which we talked about last week, because God, part of God's plan in us being children of the kingdom that is in these Beatitudes, but really is, in essence, a summation of them. And I kind of referenced it already, but, but we need to be a little more specific here. So notice what he says in verses 1 and 2 here. Now, verses 8 through 14 caught our attention last time. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. But go back to the beginning of this chapter. And notice what Paul says in verses 1 and 2 that sets up the walks of chapter 5. The walking in the light, the walking in wisdom, this walking that Paul's talking about here. It's rooted in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. An offering, a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Be imitators of God. Walk in love as Christ walked. God's plan for us to be the light is that we might look like him. I can't be the light if I don't look like him. That's what the Beatitudes are about. When we talk about being poor in spirit, when we talk about mourning over sin, when we talk about being people who, who don't lift ourselves up with pride, but, but understand the gravity of our situation and the situation of others, well, that's only possible if we see sin and those who are in sin the way God sees it. I'll never mourn for my sin the way I ought to if I don't see sin the way God does. Because as long as I see sin as a oops, a mistake, oh man, maybe I shouldn't have done that kind of thing. And I don't see it for what it is, an, an affront to him, a violation of, of his law, a, a refusal to be who he created me to be. Until I see it in that way, I don't never treat sin the way I ought to. I can't mourn and be poor in spirit when I don't see it the way God sees it. A merciful? God is mercy. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. My God is righteous. He's the expression of it. Children, be imitators of God, right? We're his children, aren't we? We call him father. Paul borrows that language, therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Just as the little ones look up to their parents as, as mine do to me and say, say, Daddy, how do I live? How do I conduct myself? Just as they learn from me, I need to look up to my father. I need to see him and say, how do I live? That's what the Beatitudes are about. It's Jesus showing us the very person of God as he teaches God's word and as he is the expression of that word. 
In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. You see, if we're going to be the light, God's plan for us to be the light is to be like God, to be children of the kingdom. And when we are those people, you know what we produce? Go back down to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 and 9 now. Now, we can talk about the fruit of the Spirit. I understand that Paul summarizes it for us here. We read verse 8, you were once darkness, but now are in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now notice verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. The produce of the plan is righteousness, goodness, truth. The fruit of the Spirit can be summarized in there, in those three. Now, what you get in Galatians 5 is, is an expansion of that, don't you? You get some, some more details into it. But Paul here, he's not trying to delineate all that. He's making a, an ancillary point, isn't he? This isn't even his primary point. He's saying, if you imitate God, if you walk as children of light, then the fruit you're going to bear is goodness, righteousness, truth. Everywhere you go, there's going to be goodness. Everywhere you go, there's going to be righteousness. Everywhere you go, the truth is going to be because you're walking the light, because you're a child of the light. Think about everywhere Jesus went. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Everywhere he went, goodness, righteousness, and truth was there, wasn't it? Everywhere. That's, that's what we're to be like. When we talk about shining the light, we, we have to understand God's design is for us to shine. That there's a demand that the people of the world, uh, folks who are lost, they need to see Christ in us. And not just see a moral person, but see a moral person who is who he is because of who Christ is. When someone says, man, why do you live the way you do? You don't say, well, you know, it's just, just the way I've been taught. Well, you know, it's just the way, way I was raised. Well, you know, I just, I just try to be a good person. Man, that's what you expect the folks out here to say. That's what you expect secular folks to say. That's what you expect atheists to say. But I just try to be good to everybody. That's my highest calling. No, 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 no. You and I are different. Why are you the way you are? Because I serve a holy God. That's why. Because I'm a child of the light in Christ. That's why. You and I have got to stop being ashamed of who we are and why we are who we are. We've got to stop being ashamed of it. In fact, you know, folks will actually appreciate it more if you're honest with them about who you are and why you are who you are. They might not believe in God, but they will appreciate the fact that you're living what you say you are. And by pretending to be something that you're not, by leaving Christ out of the equation, by wanting to hopefully not offend anybody by bringing up the Bible, you're showing yourself to be a hypocrite. And I guarantee you one thing, the world absolutely despises hypocrites. And you know what else God hates? He hates hypocrites too. You read Matthew 23, right? Won't you scribes and Pharisees, ye hypocrites. I can't claim to be the light of the world and then leave Christ out of it. Because he's the only reason there's any light to be had. It just doesn't work that way. So if I'm going to shine the light to fulfill my design, to meet that demand, to be that doxology, that praise unto God, then I've got to be the light. I've got to follow God's plan of imitating him and living as a child of the kingdom. 
to live that way. And when I do, righteousness, goodness, truth, that's going to be what's produced. And everywhere I go, it's going to be found. Now, I know I, I've already referenced that we have to be verbal about Christ. We have to be willing to speak the gospel. But we're not done with that. Come back next week. I want to dig into that a little bit more because you know that's present in Ephesians 5 verse 8 through 14. Some of the language Paul uses when it's translated gets, gets a little lost. He's not just calling on those Christians as children of light to be the light in the sense of their life, but he wants them to be the light in the sense of the way they speak into the world. We'll look at that next week. But what I want us to take away today is simply this. If I am a Christian, then I'm called to shine my light. And the only way I can shine the light of Christ is to be the light. That's it. I'm called to shine the light, to be the light in Christ as I imitate God and live out Christ. Now, brethren, if you talk like the rest of the world and you act like the rest of the world and you just embrace the rest of the world and you just look like everybody else and you talk like everybody else and you give credit to the things of, of the world like everyone else does for who you are, what you are, you're not shining the light. You're not being the light. It doesn't work that way. It, it never works to sit back and wait on people to ask you about God. It doesn't happen that way. We're to be the light in the dark room. So if you're at work amongst people who aren't Christians, let me ask you, are you a light in that dark room? Are you genuinely a light in that dark room? Or are you just like everybody else? You come, you do your job, you just chat a little small talk here or there, and you leave. Maybe you don't like what you do. Maybe you don't like the people around you. Where you do what you do. Frankly, none of that matters. You need to be the light in that dark room. When you're with your family, and I doubt too many of us have the blessing of being in a room with, with most of our family and all of them being Christians. I doubt too many of us have that blessing. Some, some of us may very well come close to it. Are you a light in that room? Or do you turn the light down a little bit? You dim your switch. Because <laughs> you don't want to create too much conflict. I understand there's a right way to go about living his light and that there could be a wrong way. You know, there, there's the old joke about using the gospel as a two-by-four on somebody, you know. I understand that. But that doesn't mean we're not to be the light in that room. Maybe you're involved in recreational activities with your kids. Maybe just, just for yourself. Maybe it's team sports, team activities and such. Are you being a light in that room? I hope you get the point 
We have the source of light, God. We have been transformed into light in his kingdom by Christ and his blood. And now God expects us to shine as a light. And the only way we shine as a light is to be the light in Christ, which means you need to be the light in that room. I need to be the light in that room. And if I am not, then what am I doing? What am I doing? Because I'm certainly not fulfilling what God created me to be in Christ. What am I doing? So I'm spending all this time supposedly living a certain way. I mean, you're here at least. You're at least giving an hour this morning. So I'm time doing this, but then I'm not carrying through it. Why, why are you even doing it? It's an honest question. My dad used to tell me, you may not have said this before, but it sticks with me, and so it comes to mind so often. The young man kind of doing some things I've not been, been doing after I'd already obeyed the gospel. And he says to me, son, he said, you're going to go to hell, do it right. He said, don't, don't play it this halfway. If you're going to be a Christian, be a Christian. But, but don't try to keep your foot in the world and keep your, keep your foot in the church. Don't try and, try and be something that you're not actually being. If you're going to go to hell, just do it right. Just, just give it all. He said, go, go for it, man. He said, don't be lukewarm. Now, he wasn't encouraging me to go straight to hell. That's not what my father was encouraging me to do. What he was encouraging me to do was to stop and look at how I was living. Because I was saying I was one thing, but I looked like something else. And he was challenging me to actually be who I ought to have been. I was thankful for that. And every time I find myself kind of straining my thoughts or in my deeds or in some other way, kind of wandering a little bit, my dad's words just stick in the back of my mind. That question, that challenge, are you actually going to be who you say you are? That's what Matthew 5, 14 through 16 is about. That, that's what I'm presenting for us this morning. I, I pray it's a benefit to us because it's the words of Christ. He's the one who's called us to shine. He's the one who's designed it. He's the one who says there's a demand. He's the one who's, who's proclaimed our life ought to be to praise to God. It, it's his word, not mine. And so if we're not living it, it's not Ben standing up here telling you you're not doing what you ought to do. If you're looking at it this morning saying, that's not who I am, it's not Ben telling you that it's the Lord. And he would have you do better. Now, now, the great thing is, brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, you already know how to come back, don't you? You know what you need to do. You know that, that there needs to be repentance and restoration and renewal in Christ. And so if you think about your life and, and, and you honestly can say, in that room, I'm not the light I need to be then this morning you need to do differently. You need to repent and you need to do differently. Now God promises he'll forgive you. You come to him confessing your sin in genuineness. So if you need to do that, do that. But if there's one in the audience this morning who has not submitted themselves to the gospel of Christ, 
understand something. As long as you are outside of Christ, you are in darkness. And so if you've studied the gospel, if you've studied the word, and you, you know that the gospel would have you obey it in confessing the sweet name of Christ and being immersed for the remission of your sins, having repented of your sin, then this morning do that. Don't stay in the darkness. But if you're sitting there and you're saying, baptism, confession, repentance, well, what does all this mean? I don't know what it is. But listen, we want to help you get out of the dark and into the light. And so if you haven't been immersed into Jesus for the remission of your sins and you're ready to respond, if you haven't been and you don't know what you need to do, then respond and let us know that so that we can help you. Either way, the sermon, well, it's yours now. I, I pray it'll be a benefit to you. But it's the invitation at this moment. And I hope you won't sit there thinking, I really ought to respond, but I don't want folks to see me come forward. I hope you don't sit there this morning thinking to yourself, I'm, I'm, I'm beyond forgiveness. Why would God forgive me? I hope you don't sit there this morning thinking, maybe another day. If I just get these things right, then maybe another day. If you keep putting off to tomorrow what you need to do today, that day is never going to come. You need to respond. You need to do it now. As we stand and sing to encourage you. We hope that the sermon challenged you and encouraged you in your walk with God. Now that you have listened, we invite you to join us for Bible class on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. or for worship at 10.30 a.m. Further service times can be found on our website. If you would like to study the Bible further, have questions, or just want to send in a prayer request, please call us at 757-848-1120, email us at info, I-N-F-O, at PeninsulaCofc.org or fill out the contact form on our website at PeninsulaCofc.org. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe and rate us in iTunes or on your favorite podcast player to keep up with future sermons. May God bless you.